You're listening to a podcast produced by the International Monetary Fund. I'm Jocelyn Frank. It used to be that when it came to setting economic goals for a particular country, gross domestic product was the standard way to evaluate that particular nation's success. Francois Bourguignon, former chief economist of the World Bank and director of the Paris School of Economics, says pursuit of GDP growth came at the expense of everything else. People tend to believe that the only thing which matters is gross domestic product and the growth of gross domestic product, GDP, this is not enough. Although GDP measures the market value of all final goods and services produced within a country in a given period of time, it doesn't identify which citizens benefit from that active marketplace. Bourguignon says the economic aim of a country needs to be more encompassing. We also need to make sure that when the average uh, income in the population is growing, the income of all the people in the population, including those people who are at the bottom of the distribution, who are among the poorest, increases. Historically, this neglect of the poor was not only due to the obsession with GDP figures, but also with the belief that economic growth would eventually have a trickle-down effect, raising the living standards for all, including the poorest. Recent research, though, paints a more ambiguous picture. In Brazil over the last decade, the poor benefited more than the rich. Rodrigo Garcia Verdu is a senior economist with the International Monetary Fund. He says that growth may improve the lives of all, to a certain extent, but it doesn't always benefit all populations equally. This is uncommon. The, the norm is actually that growth is accompanied by increases in inequality. The United States is an example of this trend towards greater inequality. Over the last couple of decades, the U.S. has had two periods of expansion. During that time, the rich got much richer than the poor. The top 1% of the population grew at an annual rate of 10%. Everyone else only grew about 1.5%. In fact, the top 1% of U.S. earners hold nearly 25% of the world's wealth. But beyond income distribution, Francois Bourguignon suggests a far broader definition of inclusive growth. This may be the income of everybody is increasing. This may be everybody has access to uh, uh, the educational system. Everybody has access to uh, microcredit. Uh, everybody can express his or her uh, opinion in uh, the political uh, process. Uh, inclusiveness is at all those levels. And ensuring that growth reaches all sections of society has clear benefits. According to a recent work by Andrew Berg and Jonathan Ostry of the International Monetary Fund, greater equality can promote and sustain growth. Nobel Prize-winning economist Joseph Stiglitz thinks that greater equality is an essential ingredient for social stability. Where they allow inequality to grow too much, they let, allow unemployment to grow too high, there is always the risk of political instability. Recent events in the Middle East and North Africa would seem to illustrate Stiglitz's point. High unemployment and social inequity fueled those protests. Ray Offenheiser is the president of Oxfam America. He says governments around the world would be wise to take note. I think there's much more awareness of the dangers of widening inequality to both economic and political systems. I think the Arab Spring has awakened a number of people to the fact that, you know, these were the results of 
uh, unrealized aspirations of populations um, for political participation on the one hand. They were also driven by the failures of markets on the other. And I think political leadership around the world, if they are shrewd and if they're paying attention, um, they need to be thinking about growth that is inclusive. So where to begin? How do governments and policies encourage inclusive economic growth? Josette Sheeran thinks a good place to start is to focus on what she calls the non-negotiables. In order for everyone to participate in the political and economic process, everyone needs food. As the head of the United Nations World Food Program, Sharon draws her opinions from the lessons learned during the economic crash of 2008 and the subsequent surge in food prices. There were two breakdowns in 2008 for the most vulnerable of the world. One is food became unaffordable. We also saw that whole nations didn't have enough food supply. Uh, this compounded the crisis. So we say that the access to food is a unique problem that the world has to address and focus on to ensure there's adequate supply in addition to the affordability which inclusive economic growth can help address. Agriculture plays such a big role. Alan Thomas is a senior economist with the International Monetary Fund. He agrees with Josette Sheeran, but as far as low-income countries are concerned, he thinks inclusive growth isn't just about food, it's about policies. Policies that can improve irrigation, policies that allow quality seeds to be distributed and fertilize it to the, the poorest areas. The development then of infrastructure, roads, so that the the produce then of the, of the poor can actually get to markets that can be priced at a market price. Agriculture is the key, really, to poverty reduction. And as poverty is reduced across the economic spectrum, Thomas says increasing numbers of citizens can participate in the market. Inclusive growth means more people benefit from an improved economy, and more people can contribute creative ideas, devise improved business models, and invest in order to sustain that economy. The best growth may yet be unimagined, but as economists and political leaders continue to learn from the past, inclusive growth and a reduction in poverty is becoming an increasingly attractive goal.